All right, everyone, and welcome back to the Business of Fitness podcast. I'm your host, Jason Kleep, and on today's episode, we have founder of GoRuck, Jason McCarthy. Now, Jason's been on the show before. He's came out to California. We spent a bunch of time together, and GoRuck is an amazing company making amazing products. I, I really can't speak highly enough about him. So on the show today, um, we dive into a little bit of his new book, but we really just talk about what it's like to be an entrepreneur, the highs, the lows, and a little bit more about GoRuck and the company and what they represent. One of the things that I thought was most interesting is that as I read the book, he wanted to try and create a company that was synonymous with quality but transcended past the product itself and became more of a cultural icon similar to Harley Davidson or Levi Strauss jeans. And I found that to be pretty cool and we talk about that today in this podcast. If you're a gym owner out there, if you're a coach out there, dive in this episode. It's amazing. If you haven't uh, checked out the NC Fit Collective, our partner program, and all the different things we're doing at NC Fit, visit nc.fit. But without any further ado, let's dive into an awesome episode with Jason, the founder of GoRuck. Let's go. All right. So, Jason, you've been out to California. You came to our gyms, um, and you are yeah, the founder. Yeah, you whipped my ass. You whipped oh, my ass on. in your gym. <laughs> uh, so we just exposed you to some uh, some workouts. But uh, you know, you're the founder of of GoRuck, and I have your book right here in front of me called "How Not to Start a Backpack Company," which um, I finished most of it last night. I got to finish the rest tonight. Um, I want to dive in a little bit about the book, but. More importantly, I want to dive into GoRuck. You know, um, I just, before we started recording, I thought it was really interesting that I'm sitting here at our Mountain View location and we have a small group of people here filming right now. And every person in this place has a GoRuck bag. And I was just able to show you that that wasn't planned. It wasn't intentional. It's just, we're big believers in your product. And reading your book, um, one of the things that struck out to me is that my favorite bag that you guys make is a GR1. Uh, it's my everyday quote carry bag um, where I keep my clothes in it, my gym bag in it, whatever. And when I looked at your book, it was basically the exact same bag, uh, what, 10 years ago? So I, I want to back up a little bit and talk about how you created a product. And I, I, um, I want to start here because I, I found this really, really interesting to me that you wanted to create a brand that was synonymous with Levi Strauss. And I, I quote your book. Um, this is actually part of your inspiration, right? Um, best equipment on the market where individuals in great gear, their GoRuck identifies with, with Ford, Harley Davidson, Levi, and Ray-Ban. Each of these brands has broken down the walls of a specific market to attain a truly iconic status by creating a better, simpler product that transcends just being a product. And I think that if that was one of your original goals from the book, you guys have totally done that. You've built a very simple product but it embodies more than just the product itself. So talk me through how the product was started and where that inspiration came from. Cause I found it to be pretty profound when I was reading your book. Yeah, thanks. So I mean, basically take special forces has the best stuff. It's tough. It works. It's performance. It's life or death. So you sort of become a gear dork in that kind of an environment, right? You become an expert of how to use it. Well, I, you know, long story short, as I was looking for a hobby to do as I was transitioning out of the military, it's like, okay, well, I'll figure out how to get this thing designed. Because I don't know how to sew. I didn't know anything. But it wasn't like, oh, let me just throw myself into a business and, you know, cut the cord and I'm all in day one, which is not something that I was prepared to do. I didn't want to do it. But eventually figured out kind of how to get it done and, and was really comfortable with the product that came out that took two and a half years, right? So it's not as simple as idea leads to, Oh, I've got this great thing now. And, and the world, the world is not waiting for you to start your company. It's not waiting for like, people aren't just begging you, you know? So, but we, we did, we did it correctly. We came up with something that we liked. We got people, my, my old buddies in special forces to test it. We're testing it in New York city, you know, testing, in New York City, but just using it a lot. And, and like deep inside though, I never wanted to be a gear company and I never really behaved like we were a gear company. And it, it always had to mean more. Hmm. And so the, the meaning was something that there was this gap 
between, okay, we have this product and what does it mean? What does it stand for? And, you know, no, I, I was, I was benefited by the fact that nobody bought the gear out of the gates, like no sales, not, <laughs> not, not like, Oh, I've got a few, like a few. people that have right. bought it, which like, Oh, you can cling to some hope there. Right. Against all like, Oh yeah, look, th- this is going to get, but like, no, 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 there was nothing. And so came and that out was with before the go- you went to grad school. So be, so because you were overseas, you recognize the demand for this bag, but then you came back and you accepted, um, it was Georgetown, right? Correct. To go to grad school. So were you, did you try and sell any before you actually went to grad school or was that in grad school you tried to sell some? No. Yeah. So I was in, I was in business school in Georgetown in DC from 2009 to 2011. And the first sort of like the samples were showing up in 2009, Hmm. but the first for sale bag was May of 20, May of 2010. And so then that, that summer, the summer in between years is when I kind of drove around the country to try to figure out how to, how to do it. And, and that's one of those things like, you know, didn't know what I was doing, didn't have a plan, told myself, oh, I'll just kind of figure it out. And what I figured out is that you can't just figure it out like that. You have to actually have something, you have to have a plan, you have to have commitment, right? And so that turned into the event side and people and community. And that's the reason why the GR1 has been able to kind of be untouched, if you will. So... Back to the, the Levi Strauss and the Ray-Ban and you wanted to create a product that then transcended past and, and become more of like a culture and like an icon. Like when someone's wearing a Harley Davidson shirt, there's people that wear it that don't even necessarily ride motorcycles. They just, they, they align with the ethos and the culture. And it, do you feel like you've, you've gotten there already or you feel like you have a lot? I mean, how do you feel in terms of GoRuck? Do you think people identify with more than the bags? I personally think they do. I think they, I think when you wear a GoRuck shirt, like the one you're wearing, it, it, it symbolizes more than a product. Well, it has to. I mean, and so I, I, what I don't want to do is sit here and come across like, oh, look, there's billions of people that all believe in this thing. Like we're, we're not there yet, you know, but, but yes, to those people who have found us, who have uh, adopted our way of life, you know, push a little harder, right? Embrace the suck, you know, smile through the hard stuff, put, put others before yourself, right? Do more, do more and keep, keep pushing, try to squeeze as much life as you can out of, out of the only life that you have right? We, we stand for that. And yes, we have, we have gear that goes along with it, but it's not. So here's the thing, and this is a really important point. You can't just decide to do that a decade later. Like this isn't just a magic button. You don't get to 10 years later, just hire a director of community and then say, okay, we have community now. Community happens organically. It happens by putting, serving people, providing valuable experiences for them and in our case, the product happened to be wrapped up into that experience. And so that's been something that, you know, it's not easy and I'm not asking for an easy life. I'm, I'm asking for us to adapt and get stronger and better. And that's, that's like a blessing and a gift when you, when you have that perspective of, look, the world is a difficult place. I know I can handle this. It's going to be okay. So you were at Georgetown when, you know, you, you applied to several schools. I uh, saw you didn't get into Stanford. I've always, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you, you end up going to Georgetown, right? Which is awesome. You got a scholarship, which is incredible. And at the time, you know, you're out of special forces. You're, you want to start this, you know, for lack of a better term, you, in your own words, backpack company. And, yeah. and what's interesting to me is as I was reading through your book and I mean, I know you personally, so it's not like I just read the book, but I had some, you know, obviously a ton of uh, a background here. But what I thought was interesting is you put in some pictures of like P&Ls and different things that I assume came through grad school. And so something I was really curious and thinking about was how much of this like business plan, because you know, you got your um, stepdad to invest some money based on a business plan, but more importantly, based on you as the person. How, how much importance are you putting towards the business plan, the financial modeling, the different things that we see in the book that you briefly touch base on versus the, the concept, the idea? Where is that bridge in the gap? How much do you think business school really helped you, especially in the beginning? So I poo-pooed my experience in business school for, for a while. And basically, it's because business school does not really teach you to be a tactician. It teaches you to be a manager, Right. And it teaches you some case studies, how to avoid these big strategic pitfalls. And so in my case, 
it would take some years before those cases would come to be relevant. Like the Harley Davidson case, which I actually talk about in, in there, that was a, it's a really great case study. Like I, I've, I've got it. I can send it to you if you want it. But it's, it's all about the Harley Davidson brand and how they tried to push too hard to get new people. Right. And so they diluted everything. And then they're putting their low, they're buying, they're buying a, a quote, younger, uh, younger motorcycle company out of Europe. And they're, they're, they're plastering their logo on everything. It's because eventually the problem comes when businesses that start, it's, it starts as a revolution, then it turns into a business, then it becomes a racket. Right. Like that's the, that's the evolution. And without this kind of brand protectionism, and, and that's kind of, the drift of, of a lot of these things. And so for me, I've always been a huge brand protectionist and, and the community and the people are so ingrained in that, that over time I've had to find people and surround myself with people who can manage the business more. Like that really, they, they really like that kind of stuff, right? Like the balance sheet's got to do this and it's all got to add up. And you know, like I've learned how to hack my way through financial statements and I went and got an MBA. Whoop-de-doo. That's awesome. Great. Right. But the point is, is I have to remember to care about that stuff. And I, I really get passionate when you start talking about people and community and driving the, the vision forward. And so would you, would you say that the statement, like if you try and be everything to everyone, essentially, is that what you're referring to with Harley Davidson or different brands where, they, you, you start off and you have like this group of tight-knit individuals, then you grow. And then once you grow, you start looking for new opportunities to expand your reach. And then all of a sudden you stop aligning with the original people that got you where you're at. Is that, is that where you're going with some of that? And it's, it's a, to go, Rep? Yeah, it's a natural evolution. And so one of the things that, one of the things that, that has been interesting about this, this time in COVID now, it was just an interesting time for this to happen. For, for us, if you will. And, and I say that because you know, last year was not a great year for us, 2019. And we poured a lot too much more. We, we poured too much stuff into this idea of finding new people through Facebook and find, like letting them do the work for us, right? So the way it works is you go to Facebook and you say, okay, well, we, we have this new thing and we want to sell it to people. And Facebook says, I know just the people that you need to, to advertise to. Well, that is a substitute for other things, right? That are, that are harder. They're more, they're, the attribution model for these other things is more difficult, but, but they're more sustaining. So if you say the difficult work of community building is it's very hard, CFO types hate it, right? Because it takes forever. It, it increases loyalty, but you can't measure it. You know, you provide real value to people, but it doesn't necessarily mean that there's a direct correlation all the time with, with revenue numbers. So you sort of say, okay, so how do we, how do we go back to our roots and really focus on people and let this other stuff be kind of way on the fringe of what we, what we are and, and how we think about things. So it turns into partnerships. It turns into, you know, empowering people at a local level to lead their groups, to lead their clubs, to lead, you know, other people who are out there. And in our case, what we really want is for people to ruck up, find some friends and embrace the suck. And you get to define, you know, the weight of the rucksack. You get to define the, the quote friends, but they're real world friends. And you get to define what embrace the suck means. It just means go outside and have fun together. Like do something with your life together that is shared. That's, that's super interesting to me. So in 2019, to, to summarize what you're saying, because I want to make sure I'm, I'm capturing it correctly. In 2019, you, you maybe invested more in a Facebook or traditional social media marketing than you had in the past. And what you realized was you get more return with stickiness and actual people are really bought into your company where you're going with being more grassroots and focusing more on the the less on the social media and more on the interpersonal connections. So you might have less people more engaged than more people that are just kind of slightly engaged. Is that what happened nope. through your, your yeah, social so you're you know? right. You can't, you can't be everything to everybody. Here, here's how it works though. It's kind of a slippery slope because it starts to, it, you know, it, it was just an, an evolution of, okay, we can keep increasing this budget on social media spend. We'll just keep increasing it until that becomes, it, it was kind of a megaphone in the past for, for the hard work that we were doing. 
right? The community building and all of that stuff, which, is, which was absolutely the center and the core. But then all of a sudden, what you start to see is, oh, well, look what happens if you spend a little bit more on Facebook. And then it's like, well, what if you spend a little bit more? And then what if you spend a little bit more? And then before you know it, the budget gets to be so big that that feels like the thing that has to be managed the most, right? So then you hire someone to manage that budget and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then before you know it, you're building a machine around social media awareness, engagement, attribution models, clicks, and it's how does it sync up with your website? And you're, it's like you're living in Terminator 2 right? And you just don't see it coming. And then all of a sudden, it, it just, it's sort of, you, you, you don't mean to, at least for us, we didn't mean to, but the way that, you know, give me someone's calendar and their bank account and I'll tell you what matters to them in their life. Their, their words don't matter nearly as much as those, those things, right? And so you say, for us, it's like, we didn't mean to, you know, neglect our community. And it's not like we ran a thousand events a year, Right. We had over 300 rut clubs. It's not Which I've like, been to multiple it, of them. They're excellent. It's not, like, it's not like we're just starving it. It just internally, the focus shifts a little bit. And that was, that was not good. And so we had to kind of reset ourselves and say, look, let's not be so insular. Facebook is not a partner. Facebook is a mercenary. Okay. And use it very sparingly when, when it's, you know, when it's wartime, if you will, to keep that kind of analogy going. But but, uh, you know, so for us, it's just back to, back to the basics. Like we want people to rock up, find some friends and embrace the suck. That's and really, so how do we empower people with that, with that message, right? And give yeah. people more training and, and, and then build some stuff around bringing people together and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, well, I think you bring up a really good point. And I've seen that here with our organization too, where your attention goes, right? Uh, that that's just where your attention starts to go. Other things start to suffer a little bit and perception from your, their overall community could be like, Hey, you're spending all this time over here. What about us? Right. That, that's a perception. One thing, but also just, if you're not thinking about, you know, if you're having some of the uh, brightest people on your team, for example, thinking about ways to utilize a Facebook algorithm, they might not be thinking about, Hey, how do we further engage with these current partners of ours? Or how do we enhance the, the rucking experience? Or how do we go out there with new courses yeah. that might, you know, dive deeper. I think that's a really fascinating point about, you know, as an organization, you only have so much bandwidth, you only have so many people in there and where you decide to go. And I think the the Facebook thing could become very alluring. And I think it's because um, you could quantify it so well, but some of this other stuff you can't quantify as well, but is just as important, if not more important. Yeah. I mean, you as a leader have, it's like, you know, you, these old school values about the customer is always right and the customer is king and, you know, people first and all that stuff that you have to live that as the leader, right? If, if you say you own a gym, right? And you start neglecting the people because you've got to, you're just constantly searching for new people on Instagram and that's where you're spending all your time in your back office and that's all you're doing. And, you know, you start to turn, it's like, I'll give you the worst example of a company, a cell phone company, Right. They lock you into some contract. If you ever want to change it, even just a little bit, they're like, they give you the double middle finger Johnny Cash style, right? And it's like, you know, you just despise them for it. They're, they're not about the customer. All they care about is the contract that they have you locked into or Comcast or whatever, whatever the case may be, your cable. You know, these places that you wish you could just completely fire, you know? And so that's at one extreme end. But there's this, this, these other businesses that are in the business of people and you're providing a value to people. You as the leader, you cannot just hide away in the corner if you expect other people to be out and really engaging at a, at a human personal level. Like you have to get out there with the people if the people are first to your, to your business. And so social media is absolutely a tool. It's just, it's not a substitute and it's, it's just, for us, it was a very slippery slope and it is a tool. I do use it. I'm not saying, Hey, don't, but use it wisely. Yeah. I like that too. And so when you, when you got home, you know, you got out of special forces and you decided to go across the country. I find that really interesting because, so I met my wife at a really early age. We, um, we decided we did not do a study abroad. And I, I wish at the time, I, I looking back on it, that's the one thing that I kind of regret. I, I wish I had studied abroad. I wish I had, you know, traveled the country, for example, in an Airstream. This is before you have kids, mm -hmm. before you have a listening. So as you travel across the country and you were doing that more as like a way to, 
I mean, I imagine you learned a ton about yourself, about your business, but if I had to ask, what's your, what was your favorite state? I'm really curious. What was your favorite state you visited? Huh? You can't say your home. I mean, home state, I get it. Ohio, you live in Florida now, but if you had to say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, w what I was really shocked by was how beautiful the Badlands were in South mm -hmm. Dakota. And it, this was a stage in, in the trip where, now granted, my father was actually a, a Harley-Davidson guy. I grew up watching him work on Harley-Davidson in his garage with his buddies, you know, drinking Budweiser or listening to Led Zeppelin. Like, that was my dad. And that's where I summered in Ohio, you know, stuff like that. And so there, there was always, he has these pictures or had these pictures of him and his buddies out at Sturgis, which is the world's largest motor, motorcycle rally. Half yeah. a million people show yeah, up. Yeah, it just happened it's actually. Not, yeah, a couple weeks ago, right? Yeah, it's not about Sturgis, this town of whatever it is, like 6,000. It's about the Badlands. And it's just these national parks, you know, that, that we have in this country. And that is just a super, super underrated one. And it, at, that, at that stage in the trip, like, it, make no mistake, it was, a, it was a very challenging trip. Like, there were four of us that started in my dog. And by the end, it was just me and my dog. You know, everybody else had quit or left or whatever. I mean, road life is tough when there's, you're trying to run a business and there's no money and, and all that stuff. And so life turned in pretty quickly into me and my dog kind of, you know, making it work however best we could. And, and I'm grateful for that time. It, it was certainly, it was part of my, my veteran transition process. Like I, I had some stuff that I needed to just get out and I needed to just roam a little bit, like be free out in our beautiful country. And it was really just me and Java and the Badlands were just exceptionally, exceptionally beautiful. So if you ever have the opportunity to go to Mount Rushmore, which is there or whatever, whatever the case may be, if you're driving through, like don't, don't not stop. Like you got to stop and, and spend some time there. It was just so worth it. So in 2009, you release your first bag, uh, 2010, you graduate 2010. From, yeah. 2010, you graduate from Georgetown, right? Or 2000. First bag, 2010, summer 2010 is when I drove all around. And then I graduated in May of 2011. So here you are 10 years in, right? And I know that we started uh, NC Fit in 2008. And so over the last 12 years, man, I, if I knew what I knew now, boy, would I do things a lot differently. And so you're almost on, you're a decade in and your team has grown, um, are you guys all centrally located now in Florida? Or do you have team members all over the country? So a few years ago, we had this thing where it's just, I just really believe in face-to-face -face stuff. Um, so we had almost everybody here and the people who lived remote would, would basically travel down here. But we basically said, we're not going to hire anybody new unless they, they moved here. And COVID has kind of changed that a little bit, right? Like we're willing to have people who, who would be remote. But I, I'm in kind of a wait and see mode. I think that the world of Zoom and all that stuff, I, I feel like we're, we're going into the social bank, the social well, and we're just emptying it out. Because like, look, I, I know you. Like I've, I've stayed at your house. Like we've, we, you've kicked my ass in your gym, right? Like it's, you know, we're going mountain bike rides. It's, it's cool. Like this is not the same. And you, you need that real world experience in your life. And, and with colleagues, if you've, if you've never been in a room with somebody and they're just a face on a screen, I, I think that that's, that's difficult over the long haul. So yeah, we'll, we'll see. Well, so I, I want to ask you that. So, and then I want to ask a lot of other stuff, but when it comes to just um, remote uh, working uh, for us, most of the people that were in our organization pre COVID are still there. So you know, we already have a, a, a connection. So it's not that hard to go on a, you know, a Zoom with you. But we hired someone new and I've never met her face to face. And our connection is very work related. It's very much so we get on a call and it's just like, we have nothing else to really discuss because we've never had those moments together that are going out for a drink or, or connecting about whatever was going on in life at the time. And so do you think what happens is um, through COVID, employers at first like oh we're still getting a lot of productivity out of our people but but then do you think that that's going to end when they need to hire new people because they're going to lose that connection like the culture is going to start to really start to diminish if people don't feel connected to the brand because they're just at home they don't get to be a part of the the ecosystem what do you what do you, yeah, I mean, how, do you how, how long how do you, do you motivate how do you motivate 
people. I mean, people, if, if this just goes on forever, how do you consistently live the values of your brand? How do you do these kinds of things if everybody is just a mercenary? And that's basically at its worst case, that's what you've got. You've got mercenaries on the other end of Zoom who, who then, it's like their alternate life is once the Zoom stuff is over, then they go live their life with their other communities of trust that they've established in the real world. But the human heart, like we yearn to be part of, of our tribes, our communities. And so we have to find that somewhere. And if you're going to spend 40, 50, if you're starting out a company, 100 or 500 hours a week, whatever the case may be, dedicating your time to something that, that has, that's a company, like you need to believe in that, right? Like you shouldn't hate work. It's just like, you know, if you train a lot, you, pain should not be a normal thing, right? It's the same thing with, with business. You, you should not work for a place that you resent. You should not hate your boss. You should not, I mean, all these things, you know, like it just, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to see a world for, for me where everybody gets to just be forever in the cloud because I just don't think the camaraderie will be as high. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, that's what you guys do really, really well. When you, when you complete a GORUCK challenge, so what a GORUCK challenge is, there's a variety of different types, but some of them are shorter and lighter, some of them are longer, and then you have like the heavy and different durations. Um, I've done, I, I want to say I've done two. The, the, the one that I've done uh, that I specifically remember was a, was a shorter one. Maybe it was like 12 hours. It was in the middle of the night and you finished the middle of the day. And, and when you're doing that, you know, you talk about this personal connection in a world full of digital. I think what you're trying to bring to the table is something really special because you're actually connecting people. Like you actually meet them, you shared suffering. There's something really special there. And I feel like um, that's also what you want to do at your company. And that's what we want to do at our company. And it's hard to do that through Zoom. I mean, it, it really is. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's very difficult. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, uh, to me, a community, and, and the word is being bastardized, okay? Everyone's trying to hijack it because it, it's something really special, right? And it has to, historically, it's only existed in the real world. Like, they're... they're like this, this new phenomenon about a quote online community, but then the online communities just drop the preface online. Like, oh, we're, we're a community of, you know, people with these interests and we're on Reddit or we're on Instagram or we're on, it's like, no, those are forums. It's, it's where you go and you, you talk about your stuff and you don't know anybody, a lot of faceless people. And then all of a sudden some, somebody hijacks it and it, you know, the anger train comes and everybody gets pissed off. Like those are forums. That stuff doesn't really happen like at a, at a gym in a field full of sandbags. It doesn't happen at go ruck events, these face to face things. This is where the barriers come down. You know, we lead a thousand events a year. We have blacks, whites, young, old, male, female, gay, straight, military, civilian, take your pick, right? We have them all. And we don't, we, we see people working for, for each other, like by, with, and through each other. Like the person on my left and the person on the right, we have to go do this thing. Let's go do it together. And it tears down all these barriers, right? And nobody cares. Nobody sits there and asks like, who'd you vote for? And then someone's angry and doing all of that stuff. Like you can't live your life like that. If you want to have reasonable discussions with real people and actually grow, you can't just talk at people in a forum. You need to, you need to go meet real people in the real world doing real work. Right. And then, and then once you've broken down those barriers, it's not just a transactional thing. Like you talked about your, your, your employee. It's like, it's like, I know you, right? Like we can have a reasonable discussion and, and we need more of that in America right now. Oh, I'm in full agreement. I think, I think you're right. So in the Bay area right now, everybody's working remotely. I, I do think they're going to go back to work because they're going to miss out on what you're talking about. And I think that people, they don't realize what they, they don't know what they, um, lost until they lost it. I mean, like they didn't, they, they thought like, Oh, it'd be great to work from home. Then all of a sudden you start craving this, this connection. You start craving, um, you know, uh, talking to people. And I think that that's something that, that, that we've got to catch back up on. I think it's yeah, really yeah. So to that point, leaders of organizations, you, you almost have to demand that your people do this because if they don't do it, if they don't do it as part of your team, your organization, they will find this elsewhere. And then you're leading this kind of dualistic life if you're, mm -hmm. you're a, a worker, right? Because you will find your communities of trust. 
And, and our goal as leaders is to make one of those communities of trust the, the people that you work with and the mission that you serve in that place of work. And so you, you, you need to inspire people to do that. And for us, it's like, we don't make it mandatory because right now, uh, I mean, we, we won't make it mandatory, but it's one of those things like it is hard to enforce, hey, you've got to show up in a time of COVID and, and there are legal restrictions and stuff. And we're coming out of some of those, but not all of them. But it's like, hey, we're getting together today. We are all going to be outside. We're going to have a rucksack and some sandbags. And then we're going to come and back and we're going to drink beer outside together. And like you can stand six feet apart. And you can do like, like the... Like, to me, outside is a safe place, right? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've read all the stuff and it's like, I don't see a lot of risk there. Like that's what some people need to ease into it. Other people, you know, you're, you're more comfortable with more other stuff. Um, that's great, right? But you, we, we've got to inspire people. We've got to bring people back together as part of these communities in the real world. Yeah, no, I think you brought up a really good point. I think that anybody who owns a company uh, should be thinking about, I know something I'm thinking about is that if we don't provide that space to have that connection um, as leaders in our organization, like people are gonna try and find that somewhere else, right? And, not, and maybe not, that's not necessarily leaving your company for somewhere else, but it's just their bandwidth, their time, their effort, their energy, whatever is gonna go somewhere else instead of it potentially being inside here in your business and uh, making those connections, making those friends. And so, you know, I think for you being a decade in plus, you know, your, your business has obviously exponentially grown. You, you wrote your book, you're, you're, You've been doing a lot of really cool stuff as a leader um, cause you're CEO, right? Are you CEO? Yes. Yeah. You're CEO. Um, it, what do you think from a leadership perspective has been the biggest challenge with your team and your staff? Because not necessarily the events, not necessarily being this figurehead who's special forces who started a company, but actually managing the team, right? and finding good people. What, what have been some kind of lessons learned there? You mean during COVID or just throughout? No, in, in general, because I mean, your father or your stepdad is your COO. And Correct. how does that work when, you're, when your family is also an executive at your company, also an investor, leadership styles? How have you adapted? What, what, what kind of things can we think about from the last 10 years? So I know that I have my fair share of things that I wish I'd done different. And, and manage, manage differently. But for you, you've yeah, had family and money involved. And my, and my wife, right? And like your wife. He, head of community and all these other things. And like, you know, I mean, I think that easing into it is, first off, I mean, everybody says communication. And that's, that's absolutely always true. But I'm going to just baseline it, right? I mean, you know, there is a direct correlation between your ability to have hard conversations nicely and your ability to succeed. Like if, if you run away as, as a leader, if you run away from hard conversations, then it's not going to go well. Things will fester. If you have hard conversations, but you don't, it's like R Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I love the quote so much, right? She's like, fight for the cause, something like this, fight for the causes you believe in, but do it in a way that gets others to follow you. Yeah. I mean, that just sums it up, right? And so you have to do that kind of stuff. I mean, specifically with Mike, you know, I mean, he, he invested early on because of me right? He thought he was going to lose all his money regardless. And, you know, and he was around he, for, for a while, he and I were the board of advisors and stuff. And, you know, he only started full time as a COO a year ago, right? He, he was a COO or CEO of a, of a different, much larger automotive marketing company. And then that sold. And then he did a couple other things for a few years. And, and the timing was great. You know, he has a lot of business experience, what he, he what, the, the, basically the bottom line is we make a good team and, and I can't give you a prescriptive, I can't give you something specific to your life. I can just tell you why that works for us is Mike has a lot more experience in business, right? I mean, accounting, finance, operations, that's not the stuff that I care about, right? I, I'm not passionate about it, I should say. And what I'm passionate about is brand building and new product and, you know, like honoring my roots and special forces and blending all of those and community building. These are the things that he just doesn't, he doesn't know them. Like I know them and I don't know the stuff that he knows, like he knows them. And so you get this, I may have some opinions on stuff, but I'm, I have to, I have to concede certain things. Right. And, and basically it's like, 
not just on a point by point basis, but you have to say, Hey, you're in charge of this. Go, go run with it. Yeah. And, and so, you know, he and I, it, there's, there's good overlap because we, we don't have the same strengths and mm-hmm. at, a, at a place, our size, you don't want two of the same person. You need kind of overlapping skills. And then, you know, Emily has been, my wife has, has been kind of the glue at go rock since forever. Right. I mean, you know, she's, she's a uh, very well accomplished in, in her own right. I mean, she was a case officer for the CIA and been to, been to war zones and, and like can cool customer and, and all that stuff. Right. Um, good with partners. Imagine that, you know? And, and so, you know, for her though, like she has her levels of empathy are just extraordinarily high. Whereas I'm more like, Hey, I'm just, I've got blinders on some of the time. And sometimes that's really necessary. Like, the wall is that way and you have to get through that wall. Like empathy is not going to get you through there, but you need other people around you to, to say, Hey, you can't do that like that and stuff like that. So it just, it's really kind of like compliments. Yeah. No, it's, 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 it's a really, it's a testament to you, I think too, because you've surrounded yourself with, I mean, first off having family involved is, is, is very difficult, but there, um, I think what makes this unique and I, I'd be curious your thought on this is that they're credible in what they're doing. Meaning like they didn't just get the job because they're family or friends or whatever, but they're actually really great at what they're doing. And they're a great combination with you. And I think that that's a beautiful combination because you could trust them. They're competent and you know, they're going to get the job done. And so it's a nice, it's a nice um, trio to make it successful versus if you didn't do it the other way, right? There's a lot of other options where you hire the wrong person and it's not good, <laughs> especially friends. Yeah. I mean, you, you see this where, if you're running a jobs program and, and everyone has the same last name as you, like that's not going to go well. You know I mean? People, people have to be, people have to be capable and competent in their own lanes. And you have to sort of, you know, the communication is, it's, it's easy by kind of routine, but it, sometimes it can be hard because, you know, how do you have a certain kind of work conversation with your wife, but then you're at home and like, do you schedule it at work? And it's just sort of, I mean, those are the things you face, but look, the grass is not greener, you know, like you make it work if it works for, for the two of you. And if it doesn't, like there's people in my family that I would absolutely not want to work with, but you know, that's just personality traits. And like, it doesn't mean I love them any less. Right. It just means that like, it's got to, it's got to jive well together. And so when COVID hit like six, seven months ago for your business, I imagine manufacturing might've had a little bit of an issue with the, the product itself. Um, but because you're direct to consumer brand, it's not quite the same as like our brick and mortar gyms where they had to shut down. What type of pivots have you guys had to do? Because you mentioned just focusing in more. And I think that's exactly what I've seen a lot of companies doing is just, it's just, you, you're almost forced to really refine what you're doing. What have you guys recognized through COVID? Because I know I, I really appreciate your 2019 talk about, Facebook kind of going a little bit too deep down one side, but how about the 2020 talk? What, what, what about through COVID have you kind of honed in on? Yeah. I mean, there were certain things that were easy to say no to, right? I mean, so first off, there's two great answers in the world Two, Yes. And no, those are the two greatest answers. No, maybe soft, (laughs) maybe is the world's worst answer. Right. But even worse than that is like a, yeah. You know, oh. these non-committal yes, yeah, because yeah. there's no passion behind them. Nobody's right. going to sort of do. No. So anyway, we, we kind of just said, hey, we don't know what the future holds. So we have to be really careful about like we have to really focus here. Right. And so one of the things that was su- like, super easy to just squash for us was to focus on travel. Right. I mean, sure, we believe you should, you should get your rucksack and travel that way. And I believe rollbacks suck and are not a great way to, not a great way to travel if you want to go and, and have freedom of movement and all those things. But like, we're not talking about that at all. And I don't really see a day when we get back to talking about that because you can't just go, like we've, we've moved a lot more into fitness and training and you know, working out in your garage and getting other people together to, to work out sandbags and rucksacks and how to incorporate that into your daily life and what's the role of community. And so we're, we're pouring some resources behind some, some technologies, some technologies, um, solutions for the community building side. And 
you know, it's, it's been, but that's, that's a strategic play. The focus right now has really been, you know, put a rucksack, put a rucksack on, find some friends and embrace the suck. You can do this outside in a park. You can do this in your garage. Right. But you know, if, if, if anything has been proven in this, like being stronger is better, right. Being healthier is better. And I really want a lot of people out there to just remember this message, but I want us to do it in a way where, I mean, we're, we're talking like, look at your crowd, right? NC Fit and, and my crowd, GORUCK, right? I mean, there's lots of people that already care about fitness, but here's the thing. Be a leader, lead from the front, get the people on the fringe, fight for the causes you believe in like fitness, but do it in a way that gets others to follow you. Like Patrick Swayze in Roadhouse, be nice, you know? Yeah. Be nice. Give people encouragement to come and join you. Don't, don't fitness shame people in and, and brag about how healthy you are and, you know, all these things. Like, do it in a way that inspires others. And, and that's really what we're focused on. I like that. I, I totally get what you're saying. It's so funny because you and I, I, I was traveling once a week forever and I was, I'm always using your back. And then all of a sudden COVID hit and boom, all the travel ended. But, you know, you're, you're really right about fitness shaming. I think that um, fitness has been brought to the forefront right now. Strength, uh, really just embracing this idea of like um, adversity through fitness or adversity through rucking and overcoming those things is just so valuable. And I think that for you in particular, you have such a beautiful tool here that you can just throw on your back and go out on a ruck. And it's a great additional tool for anybody who hasn't used it. I mean, I know for me when I'm out, and I've encouraged my sister and my father-in-law and my dad to do this. We'll just take one of your rucks. We'll throw like some um, big like gallon water jugs in it. They don't have the weights, which sorry, we'll have to purchase that later. But they just take the gallon jugs and that additional 20 pounds, whatever, really makes a significant difference on your workout. And it could, it, it, it's, it's, it's remarkable what you could do with the ruck. So kudos well, the to part you that, for your product. The, the part that I like about, about that is it's accessible. And, and I say this not in a way where lots of, lots of companies, you, you, they try to become more accessible by kind of watering down the, everything and trying to appeal to everybody. What I'm saying is, is that say, say you want to put 45 pounds in your, your rock or 50 or 60, wh whatever the case may be. And someone else that you, you go with that you can invite to come with you, your dad, your sister, your, your friend, your buddy, and they're new, right? You say, hey, here's a little bit of weight right? You can get, you can both get a great workout out of it. You can talk to each other, right? Which is the other part of all of this is just the social element. And that's what NC Fit is. It's a community, right? You, to do that, you have to be social. You have to meet each other in the real world. And then as when, when your brand, your company starts to inspire friendships that lead to outside of the gym activities, outside of just what you're programming activities, that's when you're making exponential positive differences in the world. And I just believe that that comes back a hundredfold and you just keep doing that over and over and over and really, really good things will happen. You're just empowering people and trusting that the, the value and the message that you're, you're providing as a service to them will, over time, everybody will win. So I got to ask, uh, you have the GR1, which is a smaller bag. You have GR2, GR3. You have sandbags. Is there anything new coming out on the line? So I know you have the, the just the, like the, the thing that just keeps the, the plate in it. Anything new that we could expect in 2022? A new product, 2020. Oh, we're actually super stacked this, this Q4 on, on new products. So, and, and a part of this is, so a couple years ago, I guess, was it last? It was last year. Damn, time flies. So, um, you know, Dave put rucking in, in the CrossFit Games. Mm -hmm. And there was some, like, we've had these rucks for a decade, and we did not see the problems on the human body that we saw at the CrossFit Games, right? Like, there was a lot of friction rub, and I can sit here and tell you that there's a better way to do it, and, and the athletes really didn't know how to ruck properly. Like, you've got to cinch it down all the way, and you've got to, you know, do things like wear a shirt, right? But the, the bottom line is, that doesn't matter. We went back to the drawing board and we sort of said, hey, we need to solve this problem, right? And is there a way that we do it that stays within our brand ethos of, of like this gear needs to last a lifetime. It's not disposable ever. 
and it, it can still serve this problem, right? And so we came out, the Rucker 3.0 is coming out in a week or something. Um, and so the back panel is such, and there's a little bit of extra lumbar support on it as well, but it's made out of a different fabric, also tough, but you can, I, I mean, I did a ruck run in this for five miles with no shirt on and zero friction burns, like no problem, right? And we've tested this repeatedly again and again and again with a lot of different people. So if you're a female, you got a sports bra on, no problem, right? You're a, a guy, you, you got a rucksack on, no, no shirt, or you're wearing a tank top, right? The underside of the shoulder straps as well. So that's a, that's a big shift. This is the most comfortable rucksack that I've ever worn in my entire life. And we've put other special forces guys in it. We've put a lot of in people that have been in our community for a long time. And it's like, this is, this is it. Like, this is the one. And so that's coming out soon. The, the rough plate carrier, which is you can either put a 20 or a 30 pound plate in it. And it's, it's really super minimalist. So it goes just on your back. Um, and you know, you can work out with that more easily. Yeah. Not any, not any bulk whatsoever. You know, I, I'm not really a proponent of, of ruck running over any real significant time and distance, but if look, if sprinting is part of your workouts, if, if stuff like that, or you, you know, sprinting is part of the workout that you're programming at your, at your gym, right? I mean, then, Hey, you can add an additional challenge with, with this on. And then we also are, and, and that has the same back panel, right? right. Same back panel fabric and stuff. So you can wear that um, shirtless or, you know, with just a sports bra on whatever. And then the third product that's dropping early November is our ballistic trainers, which we've spent a, a long time developing with um, Paul Litchfield, who also invented the Reebok pump and has been a, a, a full-time employee at GORUCK for, for a while now. So you know, the production, the manufacturing windows became a little bit difficult because of COVID, which is why we're super stacked right now. And some of these aren't trickling out sooner, but these are all really, really big launches on our end. And they're, it's like it better, it's better to be Q4 than, than never, but it's, it's pretty stacked. Yeah. Well, I like what you're talking about because we saw the, that issue at the games where you had athletes who just got this huge, you know, burn. And what I think is really interesting about what you're saying is that originally you put out a video and said, Hey, you got to do this, this, this. Right. And I think what's really cool is taking some ownership in that and recognizing, Hey, regardless if they were right or wrong, this happened to them. Right. And that's a problem and we need to solve it. So I'm really happy you came out. I got to check out that new record. That's going to be great. And, uh, you know, I think for anybody who hasn't checked out your products, obviously go ahead and do so. But your company story is really interesting, man. It's, it's, it's really profound how, you know, you and Emily, you're overseas, you come up with this idea and you stay really tight to the kind of culture and what got you to where you're at. And I think that your idea and your vision of kind of creating this Harley Davidson or this Ray-Ban idea, I've really settled on that. Like, like how can we make our brand even further with that and not be everything to everybody, but be something, be this powerful thing to a group of people. And I think you're doing a great job of that. So I really appreciate you, man. I think your book uh, was really interesting. It's more so just almost like a diary. I wouldn't call it like a, it's not like a biography or anything of that nature. It's more of a, just a diary. But if you want to know more about GORUCK, the book will help you with that at least. Or why not to start a company? Like it's, it's, it's kind of entrepreneurship tooth and fang, you know? I mean, it's, it's like, that was kind of the point, right? It was not to say, I just feel like there's a lot of people projecting their kind of perfect origin stories. Like, Hey, I came up with this idea and look, look, watch. And I grew and I just had a plan and I just stuck with it. And, or they're kind of say, Oh no, I made some mistakes and I had to pivot and do all this. But this is, it's a lot more on the personal side as well, which I think is if you are a leader, you're an entrepreneur, you, you want to do anything in, in, in those lines, right? Like it's, it will ultimately come down to just you, maybe you and your dog, if you're lucky, but you have to fight through whatever's going on in your life and you still have to figure out a way to solve problems and lead others. And, and so I just kind of want to set the record straight because the risk is, is a decade later, 12 years later, whatever, is you, you start to bring new people on and they don't know your origin story. Mm. And so it's important to me that, cause I, I want GORUCK to be around for centuries, right? And so I want the people who come here to, to know our roots, just like we should all study our founding fathers and the constitution and, and all those things. And I, I say that apolitically, 
right? Like we should know our own origin stories, like the Boston Tea Party and yeah. these things. Like we need to know those types of things. Those so you are, can learn those from are what unite too. us. Yeah, they unite exactly. you and you can learn from them. I think that's super powerful. I, I agree with you. By the way, uh, to further what you're saying, when you talk about the book, I think one thing that's really unique is you brought in that personal perspective of the suffering that you, as an entrepreneur, it's not all rainbows and unicorns from a business perspective. And you're right. People say, oh, we had a pivot, pivot. Yeah, shit. We've been pivoting left and right through COVID. But there's also a personal take on that, right? Where you start saying, hey, am I doing a bad job as a leader? Am I not doing the right decisions? There's a, there's a heavy burden. And um, talking about that, I think is okay. Because it, it humanizes people. It's, it's not always easy. Yeah, I want to empower others, right? To say, look, don't quit when it gets just a little bit hard. This is normal. It's supposed to be hard. You signed up for this. Now, but then it really gets hard. And it's like, hey, how, you have to stay committed, right? If, if you believe in what you're doing. So choose your, choose your mission wisely, right? And in... in as I told, tell that story in, in the book, like I didn't have the mission chosen yet, right? Because it was still just a gear company to me at, at that time. And so it, it goes into a little bit of how that, that transformation happened. And it's like once, once there were people involved and I could actually give back, right? And, you know, behind the scenes, my life was not in a great place. And, and yet you always have more to give. Like if you think you've got it bad, go find somebody else and make their day fucking great, right? Like there's somebody out there who's not doing well and you can, you can bring a smile to their face. You can like, whether it's your kids, your wife, if, if, if you're in, in that position or it's someone that you work with, something, like it will make you feel great. It's, it's amazing like that. And it's, it's almost counterintuitive because you think, oh, I'm not doing well. I should focus on myself and get well. That just doesn't work as well in my experience. Focusing on others and paying whatever you have inside of you forward, that's what really made a difference for me. I love it, man. Well, Jason, I appreciate your time. Uh, dude, it's, it's, it's inspiring as usual to um, hear what you have to say, to see what your business has been doing. And uh, if people want to go check out what, it's just goruck.com? Goruck.com, yeah. <laughs> Nobody else wanted it. We got the, it. However many years ago. The rucking company. I love well, it. Well, thank you so much and uh, looking forward to seeing you soon. Awesome, man. Thanks so much for having me.